Are you ready for this? Welcome to Principles with Corey and Logan. I'm Corey. I'm Logan. And we are here to go on the journey of life and leadership growth with you. Welcome to the Principles Podcast. Welcome back to Principles with Corey and Logan, guys. We have brought out the big guns today. I'm excited uh, for this episode. I'm excited that uh, you get the opportunity to learn and listen to our guests. We're just going to talk a little bit today and just kind of as a way of introduction um, for our guest today, his name is Tommy Newberry. And hey, he is a New York Times and a Wall Street Journal best-selling author. He's got two books that are New York Times best-selling, Wall Street Journal best-selling books, The 4-8 Principle, and Success is Not an Accident. I really like that title there. He is the founder and head coach of Achieving Optimal. They are an organization focused on helping Christian entrepreneurs attain the next level of financial success without compromising their faith, family, and health. I, I think that's, I really look forward to diving into that. Tommy's also appeared as a guest on over 200 radio and television programs, including Fox and Friends, The Lou Dobbs Show, Your World with Neil Cavuto, The Fox News Strategy, and several, several others. And we just want to say welcome to Principles with Corey and Logan, Tommy. Corey, thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, that is awesome. Well, Tommy, I'm, I'm excited to dive into uh, some of our conversation. I actually just finished writing my first book. So I'm, I'm kind of interested in hearing some of your process. But so you, you've, you've written several books, your head coach uh, in, in the coaching lane, working with entrepreneurs, business owners, and uh, helping them make an impact in the world. But how did you get there? Like, tell us a little bit about your background, your story, and I uh, would love just to just to hear a little bit more about you. Yeah, well, I, um, I grew up obsessed with baseball. And um, I played through age 20, almost 21. And then when that ended, you know, my dream, my goal, what I lived for really up to that point was it, it was probably gradually over, but it felt kind of suddenly. And I didn't really know what to do. There's probably only a, a three year period, maybe a four year period in my life where I was uh, aimless. I didn't really know exactly what I was going to do. So I finished up college. And then I started to work for a software company because it was the best opportunity I had at the moment. So I learned how to sell. And then part of what I was doing was learning how to teach workshops. And I was the youngest guy there and I didn't really like the material, but I loved the teaching. And I noticed I was getting good reviews and simultaneously I was teaching, I was coaching little league baseball across the street and loved that. I, I didn't have my own kids. I wasn't married or anything. And um, it started to occur to me, I wonder, I wonder if I should get into something that it's coaching or teaching. My, both of my grandmothers were elementary school teachers. My mother's father was a teaching minister. And so I was thinking, you know, could I, oh, and then my, my dad, my grandfather on my dad's side, whom I never met was a, a middle school principal. So I thought, well, maybe I have teaching in my blood somewhere. And so then I narrowed it down. Well, I'm either going to coach baseball, which I came close to doing. I did a little bit up, or I'm going to find some other way to coach. And so I ultimately decided I want to coach people. So then at that point, how am I going to do that? I have no track record. I have no resume. I have no credentials. 
but you know, when you're 24 years old, uh, you kind of think you can do anything and, and ignorance is bliss. So I just started and I called on people and it was a failure and I called on more people and it was a failure. And I mean, I literally was going door to door in office buildings, floor to floor, trying to sell my coaching services and nobody was interested. And finally, one of my prospects said, you know, you're calling on the wrong people. You're calling on corporate, you know, corporations. And, you know, that's why you're not having any success. You need to call on small business owners. So I, I redid my strategy and I started calling on commercial real estate, small broker brokerages, and then financial services, other small businesses. And I would go in and I'd say, hey, I can help you have the best quarter you've ever had. And, and I'm going to meet with you every week and I'm going to help you stay focused on the few things that are most important and you can pay me at the end. And this was 1991, 1992. And I said, you can pay me $650 at the end. And so 10 of my first, I, I was single and living in an apartment, didn't have many expenses. So my first, um, I had uh, 10 of my first 12 clients paid me. And then the other two gave me advice that was worth what, all the other people paid me combined. And, and one of them is still a client and a good friend today. And I've actually worked with their, their children since that time. So second generation coaching. And, um, at, from that point I realized, okay, I, I want to work with a, I, I'm, I seem to be gifted and, and enjoy working with people who've already done pretty well financially. They want to get to the next level economically, but they don't want to screw up their faith, their family, or their health. And, and that has become my niche over the years of helping somebody who's maybe got a bronze medal, but they want the silver metaphorically, or they want the gold. And I've become that guy. And, and so since 1991, when I started, I have, I've worked with, with close to 1500 different entrepreneurs and CEOs, small business owners. But what I'm most proud of is I've worked with their spouses and their kids um, in kind of creating a home culture of success and stewardship. And, and that's, and so throughout that time, I've written seven books and I love writing, but what I really like doing is teaching people a process for getting from, from where they are today to where they'd really like to be. Yeah, that, that is a powerful thing. And I love what you're talking about. Uh, really, you're, you're talking about helping people to think with a generational mindset, right? You're, you're, yes. you're even working with uh, the children of some of the ones you started out with. I think that that is awesome. And that's a lane I love right there, too, is helping leaders, you know, continue to grow, but not at the expense of their faith, their family, their health, fitness, those kind of things. And I'm just curious, over the years, you've worked with a lot of those kind of leaders, entrepreneurs. Do you see some kind of common theme that they, they all, um, I know they're all unique, but is there a common thread that holds some of these leaders and entrepreneurs back? That, that holds them back? Yeah, from I, going I, from that bronze to that silver there. Or gold. Yeah, I think, I think they, they stop. The ones that I work with are different because the very fact that they're working with me, you know, kind of makes them different, but they, the, so let's start on the positive side of the ledger first. So those that, that I work with, they at least have a curiosity or a hunger that they're not fully 
tapping into their God-given potential, or they believe they're not on track to leave the kind of legacy that they're capable of. And that, that really bothers them. Others think the same thing, but it doesn't really bother them. So I don't really know. I, I can't say for sure why two people who seem very similar, one is bothered by the fact that, that he's out of shape and the marriage isn't where it needs to be. And they're, they're not on a, a generational legacy financially, you know, from a trajectory standpoint, they're not really going to be that influential. And it bothers one, one person who wants to do something about it and change that. And the other person's okay with it. I don't know how to explain that mm -hmm. and I can't control it. But what I've figured out is that for those who, who are motivated and want to leave a legacy, then they almost all have a growth mindset. They believe that they can be better next year. They don't talk in terms of retirement. Um, they believe they can be more fit at age 60 than they were at age 50. They believe they can have more influence in the community. They believe that the best years of their married life, married life were not the first five, but may well in fact be the last five. And so they're constantly growing. If there's, if there's something that is very innocent that maybe deters others, it's that they just don't have a clear vision for what the rest of their life looks like. Like maybe they've um, had some good material success and they've got, they're comfortable, but they don't have a vision for what a decade from now or 30 years from now looks like. And what I found is, and this is very biblical, if there, if there is no vision, then people lose motivation. You know, they, they don't necessarily die, but they, a part of them dies on the inside, that drive dies. Yeah. And what we really want, we want people to live fully right up to the last minute and, yeah. um, and make a difference right up to the last minute. Yeah. Do, do you feel like, um, do you feel like some, and, and, and I'm talking more in the faith lane on this one is like, sometimes those entrepreneurs, they've done some awesome things. They're, they're doing some things and maybe they're, you know, slightly under the bronze level, maybe, you know, they're yeah. fourth place or something. Right. And they worked hard to get there and they are afraid to, to go to that next level because they think it's going to require a lot of extra effort, a lot of extra work that they don't have the time to, to get into, or they're, they're kind of afraid of, you know, am I supposed to be successful? They're afraid of kind of success and uh, maybe they have, if you want to say more of a poverty mentality, do you, do you see that some? Ab absolutely. And um, it's, it's, uh, it's awful that that happens uh, in the Christian community um, it's certainly not God's plan. I mean, uh, the, and this has been a passion of mine for, for 30 years plus, which is, you know, do you think God wants you to be successful? You know, it's a very simple question. You think God wants you to be successful. And the best way to answer it is with another question. Do you want your kids to be successful? Mm -hmm. Well, of, of course you do. So your heavenly father wants you to be successful. Um, of course, provided the definition of success is, is accurate. And I think, success is number one, it's about stewardship. It's about making the most of what you're given. Um, number two, it's about being intentional. So success is not an accident. It's, it's not random and haphazard. 
luck is something that is a word that people use to either out of jealousy and resentment, or they use it to explain things that they don't understand. But oftentimes we see the, the, uh, final phase of somebody's decades of work. We see that manifest in a nice home or, or a second home or a nice car or other, other material possessions, which are fine. What we don't see is the 20 years of 60 hour weeks and the sacrifices that were laid out. I mean, even, you know, you think of an attorney, we see the, the nice car, the nice clothes, the nice lifestyle, but what we don't see are all the hours and hours of work preparing for the trial, uh, law school, uh, the time prior to law school studying to keep grades good enough to be able to get into law school and so on and so forth. So a lot of people are hung up on the symptom. So I believe success is about stewardship. Success is not an accident. And then third, maybe most important is your success blesses others. I sign all my emails or at least 90% of my emails your success blesses others. I've been doing that for 20 years. And this is, this is, means a lot to me because, and it should mean a lot to everybody because when we succeed, in other words, when we do something, when we're productive, we could, I could say your productivity blesses others. I could say your effectiveness blesses others. Your marriage blesses others. Um, we can just substitute many different words, but if you do it well, it blesses others. So your success blesses others means it's almost impossible to succeed as an island. You know, when, when you succeed as a small business owner, you create additional jobs, but that's not all. You also are helping solve other people's business problems. When you help other people solve their business problems, they're able to hire more people. They're able to buy a new house. And when they buy a new house, a moving company is blessed, a real estate agent is blessed, a landscaper is blessed, and so on and so on and so on. A new babysitter is blessed, you know, when somebody can afford to go on a vacation or take, you know, go out on a nice date or a trip. And so often people think that success is selfish. It's almost a manipulative cultural message trying to get one group of people mad at another group of people when there is plenty to go around. You don't, you know, if, if you, I, I, there are, you know, I've, I've written, this is one of my books, the four, eight principle. Um, I've sold a lot more books than a lot of people, most people, but you know what? There's a lot of people out there that have sold more books than me. And so when I look at somebody, I know you're familiar with John Maxwell, I think about him and I think, um, God bless him. I mean, that's amazing. I wonder how he did that. I wonder how I could get closer to him. I don't think to myself, well, I've sold a lot of books, but he sold more. He's so lucky or resent him because he's figured it out better than I have. Um, so your success blesses others. That should be a motivator to all of us, you know, who believe in leaving a legacy, who believe in eternity. We want to, we want to succeed at the highest level because it's going to touch as many lives as possible. Yeah. And, and when people succeeded, you know, God blessed them with more land. He blessed them with, with camels. He blessed them with things that uh, we would think of today as the material trappings. 
And um, I think it's just important to unleash people who believe in God to become the leaders of, of our country and of the world, rather than those who don't share those same beliefs, who generally are running the country and the world at the moment, uh, by and large. Absolutely, man. I'm all, I'm all in with you right there, Tommy. I, I truly believe, you know, uh, need men and women who are filled with pure heart, pure love, pure motives to be pursuing higher levels of leadership and, and opportunities in all streams of of society, exactly what you're saying. And I love what you said that success is about stewardship. It blesses others and it requires intentionality. And as you're talking, yeah. the very first thing that popped into my mind um, is where Jesus is telling the, the parable of the talents and then the, the minas as well, that, you know, those, those, the individuals with those, they went out and they were intentional, right? And they were good stewards of it. But then the blessing that came back is that they gained more responsibility, right? One that's of them, right. that, that, that's interesting, right? Because it, I can... it is interesting. And so, so often we want, I think it's a human part of the human condition. We want more, but what we first need to do is be faithful with the little that we have, yeah. you know? So if, you know, it's not, it's, it really doesn't have anything to do with material things. Um, you know, it's not, it's not how much, it's not what we have that really matters. It's what has us. So as long as God has our heart, then it doesn't matter what we have from a financial standpoint, but there are people that can be, you know, have so much money that they get entangled in their money and they go to God as a last resort rather than as a first resort because they rely on their money. Well, that's a little bit of a problem. And, but then there's some who have so little money that they depend on the government or they depend on things that are not of God either. So in the middle, you have a great opportunity for people to grow and learn and, and fulfill their potential by serving others. And so when you, when you serve others, you get rewarded. And then when you serve them better or you serve more people, you get rewarded. So if you have a, a coffee shop, and you take care of your customers, you'll be rewarded. You open up a second coffee shop, you'll be rewarded a little bit more. If all of a sudden you have 20 coffee shops in a in an area, you'll be more rewarded than the person who has one, one shop. And that doesn't mean you're a better person. It just means you've served more people or served them better. And, and if every child were taught that at an early age, it would just be an awesome thing is that I would add that, you know, success. So it's about stewardship, but it's about service. Mm -hmm. And the better you get at serving others. I mean, every fifth grader ought to understand that the key to success is to serve others better, to serve others the way they want to be served better than other people are serving them. And it can be fun. You know, what else can we do to take care of of our customers? What else can we do to make sure they move through the drive-through quicker than at all the other restaurants? You know, what else can we do to make them feel more important? And so when you, when you think in terms of going the extra mile and adding more value, the world responds, you know, it's, it's, I think it's part of God's perfect design. That's powerful. I love that right there. You're talking about serving people. Well, I think it's uh Dave Ramsey talks about, you know, when you serve as a business owner, as you serve people well, they give you these 
in response. They give you these little green certificates, you know, with, with president's faces on them. So uh, you're right. Right. I mean, that's awesome. And you, you know, I love what you said too about steward what you have well, what you already have well. And a friend of mine and I were talking about this the other day. He's he he's got a strong desire to be in a higher level of a leadership role, right? And he's currently not even in a leadership role. But he said something I thought was very powerful. He said that I've began carrying myself as a leader right now. I'm stewarding the opportunities I have now. And you know, he said, even at the grocery store, and I'm at the grocery store, and there's a opportunity for me to leave my buggy where it's at or to walk all the way and carry it back to the little cart spot. Uh, he said, I, I, I think, what would a high level leader do? Well, I'll return my buggy, right? And, and that's kind of what you're talking about is stewarding what you currently have right now. And it's not just resources, but it's, it's the current opportunities that you have too, so. Yeah, even small ones where, you know, efforts like that, I don't think they're essential but yeah. they accumulate, um, you know, and, and I think those things kind of come back to you somehow, some way, you know, you're, you're doing the right thing. Um, you're serving it's unnecessary, but that's what makes it beautiful. Just like letting somebody, I was telling my son who's learning to drive and I let these, you know, let two or three cars in front of me merging. And he was looking at me like, why was, <laughs> why was I doing that? And I'm like, well, you know what? Um, what, you know, it's a nice thing to do. If I were them, would I want somebody like me letting me merge in, in a, you know, busy highway? And he goes, yeah. And I said, well, that's why I'm doing it. I said, hopefully when I'm them, somebody will let me in, but it's, it's just a mindset, you know, of, of where you don't even think about returning the card or letting somebody merge in or, or waving to them. You know, we've all had let somebody in like in the traffic example and had them just ignore us, you know, and then we've all had some people really show appreciation. Well, which person do you want to be? Yeah. You know, um, those, those little things matter. What matters more? It's probably those things that really move the needle. You know, um, you can do positive things like taking your cart back or letting people in in traffic and so forth. But then there's some really big items in your business or your marriage or with your health that move the needle in the right direction. And if you only do the things that move the needle a little bit in the right direction, that can really slow you down. Fortunately, if you only do things that move the needle a little in the wrong direction, it doesn't throw you off that much. And that's where most people are. They're most well-meaning people are moving the needle just a little bit in the right direction, but it's a little bit offset by moving the needle just a little bit in the wrong direction. And so that at the end of a, a week, a month or a year, or even a decade, they're in about the same place. Yeah. They're breaking even and it doesn't have anything to do with how nice of a person they are. Yeah. But if they want to grow and they want to succeed, that kind of, little bit, little bit is not going to help them be the kind of steward that moves them, you know, toward their full potential. Yeah, that's awesome. And I know you work with a wide variety of, of businesses and, um, and I know each one is unique, but are there any like specific, you, you talked about the small needle moves. What about the big needle moves? Are there any kind of general principles or general things that uh, maybe an entrepreneur is listening right now that can take uh, right now? 
Yeah, well, I, I think I think there are a few things that everybody, at least that I work with and uh, does, uh, and that is they, they have a process for getting results, mm-hmm. a predefined process. So they're not waking up every day, reinventing the wheel, um, and they're not dabbling. They're not going from, they're not following one coach's advice today because they read Tommy's book and they listen to Corey's podcast and they listen to read Susan's book, you know, and they're, they're switching, you know, some people switch gears and they never really get any traction. So people that, that move the needle have a process for getting from where they are to where they'd really want to be. And they stick with that process. I sometimes say just to, um, to show my book again, the four, eight principle is there are a lot of great books. This is on mental discipline, the four, eight principle, and it's based on, Paul's words in Philippians 4.8 that essentially say in modern language, focus on the good stuff. But there are a lot of great books out there on winning the mental game of life. I think mine is one of them, but there are others. But if you, if you read my book and the next month you read somebody else's book, next month you read somebody else's book, that's good. But if, you're, if you don't ever develop a process that you can stick with, then you'll end up kind of being a, a personal growth junkie. And, and it, I think it might be better to read my book 12 times or to find somebody else's book that, that fires you up, that equips you and read it 12 consecutive times. That might make a bigger difference. So then if we get down into specifics, I think how you start your day is a common quality. We call it in our coaching and EMSR, your early morning success ritual. And that's where you not only connect with, with your creator, but you, you challenge yourself physically and then you review your goals and priorities and you do some mental work. So it's kind of a mind, body, spirit. First thing in the morning, you try to satisfy as many of your most important values before the day even gets started. And, that is really, really powerful. And then if you bookend your day with another concept, we, we, we call it, we have, it sounds like a government agency, but NTSR. So you have your EMSR, your early morning success ritual in the morning, and you have your nighttime success ritual um, uh, in the evening. And it's, it's just a very simple, it can be 10 or 15 minutes or as long as you want, but where you get yourself ready for your, your wake up EMSR the next morning and you get yourself ready to have a good night's sleep. So very simple, like almost fifth grade level simple, but I found the longer I've coached, I'll be 31 years in, in two months um, in October. I believe that uh, the simpler things, the fifth grade level things are the things that really move the needle. So one of them is how you start and finish your day. The next one is ultra powerful and that's pausing every week to assess the week that just passed and to put together a plan for the upcoming week. And there are three really good questions to ask every single week. Again, they're fifth grade questions. What went well in the last week? What didn't go so well? And if I had a do-over, what would I change? Or if looking forward, you say, if what am I gonna do differently or better in the upcoming weeks? If I added a third, it would be being clear, and I would add a third. These are kind of the three legs of, of our coaching stool. It would be having 
your top five goals identified. Um, and these goals need to meet all the prerequisites, but instead of them all being business, we push our, all of our clients have to have a, a faith and spiritual goal that is measurable and definable, a husband or wife goal, a mom or a dad goal. We don't say a parenting goal and we don't say a marriage goal because unless the, unless we're doing our couples retreat, it's usually the husband or the wife that we're coaching. So we call it a husband goal or a wife goal. We call it a mom goal or a dad goal. Then there's the fitness goal and then the business or career goal. So five goals and we use a three-year window. We think people that, that use a shorter window end up setting smaller goals. And that if you have a longer time horizon, you end up setting bigger goals. You just break them down into component parts. So those are some of the things at a high level that I find great consistency of success in. Yeah, man, that, that is really powerful right there. So kind of going back to the original question I just asked you, because that, that is something that's really going to help a lot of people right there is we were talking about what are some of those small little things that move the needle. And we talked about, you know, letting people in and waving high and taking the buggy back. And what you just said right there was predefined predefined process, stick to the process. And you gave out some process right there that anybody can do. Literally anybody can do. It doesn't require you to be an engineer or a rocket scientist. You just have to be willing to give up a little bit of thought time to lay out your process or, or borrow a process or buy a process or rent a process. Um, We've got a process in our super focus program that is super simple. But there are other processes that work. And if you don't have a process, then you end up winging it. Um, And if you're a little bit talented, you can get away with that for a while. But I I would rather you be talented and have a process than you have the best of both worlds. But even if you're not talented, that's how a lot of the restaurants work and other businesses. They have such good processes that their people don't even have to be as strong as they would like them to be. They would like them to be good, but as a backup, they have really good processes that help compensate for the lack of talent if if that ends up being the case. Yeah. I want to back up to a couple of things that you mentioned back uh, just a few minutes ago. You were talking about, and I see it all the time. This is actually where I started. So I'm going to set you up, all right? So you, you talked right. about your super focused program and really what it does, it helps people like myself who are all into growth with the shiny object syndrome. So when I started, we opened up our business, physical therapy clinic, it was growing. We hired a team member. I got nervous because that was the moment I realized I had to grow. Uh, And if I didn't grow, I was making decisions that didn't just affect me and my family. Now they affected somebody else's family. And Tommy, you hit on something that I found was I consumed everything. I read everything I could get my hands on to. And I tried it all. And what happened was I ended up being confused, right? There was a lot, it led to a lot of confusion. And um, so I I, I want to, I want you to talk into that. But what I did was I found two or three voices, one or two voices, and for a season, that's all I listened to. And I, I want you to speak into that because you got, you've got a process and where you talk about, I like what you said, self-help addiction. And <laughs> that's what I was. Yeah. So can you speak into that a little bit? Yeah. I mean, self-help addiction is um, a pretty good addiction. You know, as, <laughs> as, as addictions go, uh, it's, you know, I'm, I'm in my home studio this afternoon and 
I've got a library just to my right that's got about 1800 books in it. And um, that's not my entire library. I just kind of ran out of space. So I have to have the others elsewhere. And there are so many good ideas in there. And as you mentioned, many of them are, are uh, in opposition to one another. Um, and they, with, with the right nuance or the right context, they all have immense value. It's just that if you get excited about following one person's strategy, one person's process or a personality, and you follow it, and then a new shiny uh, coach or mentor comes along and, and you go, well, you know what? That sounds better. The grass is always greener kind of mentality then you're abandoning the other process. So it's kind of like you're planting seeds, but never giving them an opportunity to sprout up. And then you go and you dig them up again, right as they're starting to grow and you have to start over again. And so it's not that you shouldn't read and consume a lot of what I call positive mental nutrition. It's just that you should decide, you know, for you put, you called it a season. So, for the next 36 months, whatever it is, whatever your season is, find something that you trust and you believe in and that has been time tested and throw all of yourself into it and don't look to the left or to the right until that season is over and apply it like your life depended on it. And that was one of the motivating factors in when we put together the super focus program, which I kind of think of as my life's work, uh, we had been running it for 20 years. It's, it's one of our two main coaching programs and we have a couples planning retreat, but in this program, it was mainly in person. And then during COVID, we, we didn't want COVID to stop us. So we launched it as an online program and we ran it for a year. And then at the end of the year, we decided, you know what? we're going to make this a hybrid program and, and it's a very economical program. It, it, we have people all around the globe that are participating in it. They're either all entrepreneurs or at least entrepreneurially minded. And we teach them a process that they follow. They sign up and we FedEx them the materials. So they have hard copy materials. That's why it's hybrid. And then we have online, uh, lessons that are curriculum based, they build upon one another. And then every month there's a live coaching session, kind of like what I'm doing right now, except there's a little workbook with it and some uh, special effects and things like that. But why is that important? Because there's a process to it. We teach people, this is, we, we don't just give a lot of ideas. We take the best ideas we believe that have ever existed, certainly the best that we found, we condense them and distill them into a simple process. And instead of saying you can put together, put together a good early morning success ritual, we tell you what a good early morning success ritual is. We put out the, the prerequisite components. You have some room to tweak it and customize it, but if you don't want to, then we've told you what we know works. How do we know it works? Because we've been doing it for 30 years. And then, and then we, we lead you through a template like an airline pilot. How do you, you know, even if you're well-trained, which you should be to take off on an airplane, they still have checklists hanging. If you've ever looked in the cockpit, they're hanging from the ceiling, they're popping up everywhere, they're laminated. And these guys that have, and, and gals that have flown for 20 years, 30 years, even with bullets flying at them, they know it inside and out.
but they still look at their checklist. They still hit a computer screen that says, yes, we've checked this. Yes, we flipped this switch. Yes, we've done a visual inspection here. And so often we just get, we try to keep it in our head or we try to wing it. We go to bed at 10 o'clock tonight, 11.15 tomorrow night, 9.20 the next night. We wake up at six, we wake up at 5.30, we wake up at 7.40. We just have no process. And so when we, when we switched everything in this area to online, our goal was to develop a program that was so simple that a 15 year old, and we have two or three in the program that a 15 year old could follow it, um, including my son, um, a 15 year old could follow it, but it would also be something that was relevant for somebody who's maybe 70 and is the type of person who wants to be learning and growing and is maybe still out there making a difference in the world. We have grandparents and grandkids using the program, but it's all about uh, what, you know, you may not like this from, from where you are, but uh, Nick, Nick Saban, uh, Alabama, um, he, he just says, follow the process for Pete's sake, follow the process. Um, I'm a big Auburn fan. And so, but I had an opportunity to speak on the same platform as Nick Saban three or four years ago. And when I heard him speak, it wasn't like he was a great speaker, but his message was just so awesome. It was like, you know, we don't have messaging around the locker rooms and on the fields that say, win the SEC, you know, win our umpteenth national championship. But our messaging is all about follow the process, follow the process, because we know that if you follow the process, you get the results. And, and when you, when your objective as an athlete or a human or an entrepreneur or a husband is to follow the process, it doesn't produce anxiety. If you say you got to win tonight, you got to really impress your spouse. You got to really do this. You got to really do this. You got to really perform. It kind of heightens the anxiety. But if it says, just follow the process, do the basics, run through the checklist. When you do those things, it becomes a part of you. And, and then you'll end up winning your share of championships, whether that's a marriage championship, a business championship or anything else. Absolutely. I love that. And so, so one of the, obviously at the end, give you an opportunity to share where people can get that, but I, you know, it feels appropriate right now. How, so somebody's listening to that is like, yes, I want my checklist. Uh, where, yeah. where would they go to find that Tommy? Well, the, the, the most direct way is to go to superfocusprogram.com, just like it sounds superfocusprogram.com or my name would, would get you there. There's just an extra step, tommynewberry.com you'll find that. And one cool thing that we do with it, because we know it works, we're confident is you can use it for a year. And if it, it wasn't uh, everything and more that, that you expected it to be, we will give you all your money back and give you a private coaching session at the end. Um, we're just that confident, but it's, it's not fancy. You know, I'm not, I'm not going to have you walk on coals, you know, walk on fire. I'm not going to have you do, crazy, silly stuff. I'm just going to be a one-stop shop to help you get, you know, from here to there faster than you could on your own to help you set the right goals and reach them faster than you would just going on your own. And so that's essentially our value proposition. You reach your goals faster 
and we take a commission. Yeah. That's the, I mean, that's the value proposition. And we believe, you know, that's a, it, you're going to achieve that and it's going to be a great win-win. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, Tommy, I know we're getting close close to time and I want to honor your time, but I don't want to wrap up before we talk about uh, your book, I, I, the 4-8 principle. I would love to hear. So give us a little bit about that. What, what do you got going on in the book there? And what is, what is the 4-8 principle? You touched on it. Yeah, I, I love talking about the 4-8. The, and, and if you've got, you know, if you're, if you're a living person, then you have experience either practicing or failing to practice the 4-8 principle every day. The 4-8 principle the four, it's four colon eight. So like a Bible verse, four colon eight. And that, that speaks of Philippians four, eight, which is the, the book of the Bible that is all about joy. And Philippians four, eight is when the apostle Paul uh, gives us a to think list. In other words, he's telling us that we could think about a lot of, a lot of different things, but here's his recommendation, his instruction for what we should think about. And to put it into context, he was he was in prison when he wrote Philippians 4.8. He was under guard. He was chained up. And according to most scholars, he was knee deep in sewage. And he said, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is lovely, pure, true, gracious, just, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think on these things. And in some translations, it says dwell on these things or meditate on these things or in the Amplified version, it says, fix your mind on these things, which I really like. Fix your mind. I like that visual. Fix your mind on these things. And what happens is because of the law of familiarity, we tend to take the things that we're most familiar with for granted over time, particularly with relationships. And in, unless we have a plan in place to, to counter, counter that. So we tend to focus, unfortunately, gradually on the things that are broken, not the things that are beautiful. We focus on the things that we're dissatisfied with rather than the things that we're grateful for. We focus on what's missing instead of what's present. And as a result of all that, we lose our joy. And when we lose our joy, life becomes less fulfilling. And, and we have a tendency as humans to begin to, to blame that lack of fulfillment and satisfaction on the people that we live and work with when we really need to examine our own thought life and the things that we think about most often. So Paul didn't say it would be easy and he never suggested we needed to be perfect with it. But in that verse in Philippians 4, 8, which naturally follows Philippians 4, 6, and 7, which a lot of people are very familiar with, and then Philippians 4, 9 is follow this advice and the peace that only God can give uh, will be with you forever. And But that advice of Philippians 4, 8 is so powerful because those words, lovely, pure, true, gracious, just, excellent, in different translations, beautiful, commendable, noble, of good rapport. When you focus on those things, you begin to see the world as God sees it because God is all those things, lovely, pure, true, gracious, just, excellent, worthy of praise. And we don't need to be perfect with it. But when we start to use Philippians 4, 8 as a filter for our phone conversations, a filter for uh, how we use the internet, a filter for the TV programs that we watch, 
a filter for the conversations that we have with our children and our spouses and our buddies at work and our friends, um, then it changes everything because nothing changes permanently until you change your thought life. And it's the hardest thing. It's the simplest thing to change, but it's the hardest thing to change. But if you, we have the power to will ourselves to lose some weight or to be a better husband or wife for a few weeks. But if we don't change our thought, our thinking, then like a bungee cord, we will snap back to the original position that we were in. So mindset makes all the difference. And a 4-8 mindset means you actively work every day, preferably during the morning, to train yourself to look for the good in your spouse, to look for the good in the world, for look for the good in your job, to look for the good in your buddy, to look for good in the difficult situation that your neighbor's having. And you just focus on what's lovely, pure, true, and excellent. And all of a sudden you'll find yourself kind of laughing because you were naturally, you didn't even have to prompt yourself anymore. Yeah. So that's the 4-8 principle. Um, and it's very powerful. It applies to parenting, marriage, business, you know, and, and life in general. Yeah, you, you said basically if you have a pulse, it's good for you, right? That's I mean, right. That's right. You're, you're basically teaching us how to renew our mind. You're looking for the good and everything. And it's there, right? It really is. But there's a there's a quote, I forget who says it, but it's pretty well known in the personal growth space where your focus goes, your energy flows. And what what the 4-8 principle is talking about is trying to shift That's our focus on to the good. There is good there. It's good in the world. It's good in your body too, right? There's good there. there yeah. There's, there's good. There's good in, in even the most difficult of circumstances and, and the, the effort to look for the good is what I, what I, when I'm in front of an, an audience, I'll say, because people will inevitably try to describe situations where there is no good. And I said, just remember, it's a, there's a process here, the process of looking for the good. Like while you're looking for the good, you're shifting your attention in a positive direction. Even you may not even find it or get excited about what you find, but the very act of looking for it positively distracts you or preoccupies you to look for the good. And, and you know, when people are dating, you know, and they're ultimately going to get married. But when they're dating, they automatically uh, apply the 4-8 principle. I mean, even even their friends and family members might say, well, don't you see this about her? Don't you see this about him? And and the two people that are in love with each other, they they only see the good. It's like they have the 4-8 goggles on. They can only see the good stuff. And then they get married and then the law of familiarity sets in and all of a sudden, they're noticing all the little quirks and they feel like God put them in the relationship to fix the other person. And, and that those four, eight goggles have gone missing. And so instead what happens when you focus on the flaws in your spouse, they may be legitimate. I mean, anybody has been married for, for any length of time been married for almost 29 years, you've been married what about half that, right? Yeah, 16. Yeah. There we so go. When you've been, if you've been married more than a couple of years, then you know your spouse has flaws and your spouse knows you have flaws. But if you look for the flaws or you point out the flaws or you reinforce the flaws, what's going to happen is the flaws are going to appear to multiply. 
But and so when you're dating, you once you get a connection, you start looking for the positive and the positive expands. So whatever you look for, you're going to find more of. And it is a little bit of a mental game. And if you deny it, it still works against you. So you might as well just realize what one of the things some of my clients do, you know, when they're, you know, they report that their marriage isn't, you know, they're not playing their A game. Is I'll say, get up every single morning. I mean, this is a so simple, people aren't going to try it. That's just what I found. People get up every morning and and got a cup of coffee, you got your devotional, having your quiet time, write the, the 10 things that you admire and appreciate about your spouse. Just write them down. You can throw it away when you're done, but write them down or you can keep it in a little notebook. Just write down the 10 things you admire and respect about your spouse. That you're Write down a couple of things you're glad you don't have to deal with that you know some some people do. Write them down. And then what you'll notice that day, but certainly three days later, is you start noticing more of those things. Why? Because you started your day with that point of reference. It is just like hearing a song first thing in the morning. And then, then it kind of resonates with you all day long. So if you tell yourself first thing in the morning, look for these qualities in my wife or look for these qualities in my husband, you'll start to see more of them. You see more of them, you'll get more excited. You get more excited, you get naturally more positive. And it's this self-fulfilling cycle, you know, a virtuous cycle versus a vicious cycle. Yeah, that's a powerful thing. Uh, I was uh, several years ago, well, several, it was a few years ago. Uh, it, was, it was November, you know, it's Thanksgiving time. And I, I, I decided to do something very similar to what you're saying. It's just kind of, kind of came to me. And uh, I just wrote one thing every day that I was thankful for, for my wife. And uh, it was just kind of an activity for me. And, um, you know, our marriage is great, but I just decided I would do it. And I decided to just actually continue on. I did it for a full year and I gave it to her for Christmas the following year. Um, and and what, was, what, what happened was exactly like you said, it, the, the desire in me uh, I mean, it just shot through the roof, but also I, I started noticing all the awesome qualities that I had forgotten because of, like you said, the familiarity. Yeah. Or you just kind of ignore them or you take them for granted, but yeah. this is a, totally a joke. So I don't want anybody to do it, <laughs> but if you don't believe what we just talked about works and, and it doesn't have to be 10, but you know what? I found that it took me about a minute, minute and a half to write down 10 positive qualities. I wasn't writing an essay. I was just literally, you know, writing the things down. But how about this? Every morning for a month, write down five or 10 things that really annoy you about your spouse. First thing in the morning. Now, I don't want anybody to do that because if you do that, you're going to be on the lookout for those things all day long and you're going to see them. But that sometimes that, that positive opposite therapy, as I like to call it, the positive opposite therapy kind of connects with people. Um, you know, would you ever want to set yourself up for failure by reinforcing the negative things about your spouse or your job or your life or the country first thing in the morning? No, you wouldn't. Well, then why wouldn't the opposite be the way to go? Start your day and remind yourself that it, the biggest problems we have in the country, it's, it's still a great place to be. No matter how difficult a relationship may be, there are still things to be grateful for. No matter how challenging parenting may be, it's awesome to be a mom or a dad. And 
you know, what are those things that you'd hate to wake up tomorrow without, you know, thank God for those things today. And when you do that, you start adjusting your mindset. And when you start adjusting your mindset, you'll see things on the outside start to change uh, in accordance with it. Absolutely. Well, Tommy, you have shared a ton of awesome, awesome information. You've added a ton of value too. So somebody's listening and they want to connect with you, but if they want to get the book, where would they go to get that at as well? I think the best place to get the book is Amazon. Uh, go to Amazon and you can just put my name in, Tommy Newberry, or you can put in the 4-8 principle. The other book you mentioned was my first book, Success is Not an Accident. And there are several others uh, out there as well. And then my main website is TommyNewberry.com, just like it sounds, TommyNewberry.com. Awesome. Well, Tommy, you have added a ton of value. I appreciate you. you. Appreciate you coming on. And hey, uh, for anybody listening, I know Tommy added a ton of value to you. Would love to hear some feedback. You can leave it in the uh, the comments section, or you can email us, or you can email Tommy. And if you email me, I'd be happy to sh- pass that along to him. But we hope you had an awesome day. Make sure you like and subscribe uh, so you can stay up to date with any of the latest episodes of Principles with Corey and Logan. We hope you guys have an awesome day and God bless. Thanks so much for spending your time with us today. As you go about your day, remember to ask yourself as a parent, child, sibling, business owner, customer, boss, teammate, would you recommend yourself, audit yourself, and change your life? Hey guys, and if you enjoyed this podcast, uh, take a moment, please subscribe, give us a rate and review on your listening platform. And hey, we value your feedback and it helps others find us. Are you ready for this?